Welcome everyone to today's episode of the No Normal Show. My name is Gretchen Smitson, and I'm subbing in for Chris Bevelo and Chase Kleckner today. And this week we're actually going to do a little bit of a different format by featuring some audio from our latest virtual event, Joe Public All Access. Joe Public All Access always brings a lot of great conversation to the table, so we're excited to share it with our new normal audience and hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody to the Joe Public All Access event for April 2021. I'm Chris Bevelo, EVP and Health Systems Practice Lead at Revive Health. If you have never been to a Joe Public All Access event, let me give you a little background on that. This is based on our live Joe Public Retreat, which we've done now for eight years, I think. That event is where we pull together folks just like you for two to three days in a really cool hotel in a really cool location somewhere. And we really just roll up our sleeves and dive in on the most difficult challenges facing leadership in marketing communications at health systems. It's a pretty phenomenal experience. There's just kind of no holes barred in it. People feel free to just uh, say what they think, and you learn so much from those. Uh, and so we actually have another one of those scheduled in February of 2022. We'll talk about that later. Uh, this is our virtual version of that. It is not two and a half days. It's only 90 minutes. That's all we can all stand probably on Zoom, but it's the same spirit. And we have selected a theme for this particular all-access event where we're going to talk about things that do not have to do with COVID. This is an oasis for covid we're all still dealing with COVID in significant ways at our organizations. And of course, we need to be thinking about all of that. But what we want to think about is as we start coming out of COVID, fingers crossed, numbers looking good, sometime this year, later this year, who knows, the world's going to look completely different. And how do we need to think about what we do every day? Um, that's what we want to focus on. So we're going to focus on brand, we're going to focus on creativity. Uh, we'll actually start by talking about some things we might be able to clear off our plates to allow for some bigger, better things down the road. So we'll start there. I just want to real quick introduce the folks who are going to jump in later. Paul Hackett, who's our executive creative director. We all have to give Paul patience. Many of you have probably experienced this, but he is on day two after his second shot of the vaccine. So if he tips over sideways, we know why that is, but he is he has the courage to show up today and give us his thoughts on brand. So thank you, Paul. Also, Jen Webster, who's our Associate Creative Director. Jen, Jen will facilitate a conversation around creativity. We view COVID as an event not unlike the Great Depression, World War II, 9-11, <clears throat> excuse me, an event that has really turned our world upside down and will have significant, long-term, potentially permanent changes to our society to our industry and healthcare, to our organizations, to us as individuals. So if that's true, or if it's even half true, as we come out of this, we think we're gonna to have to, to really look at everything we do as hospital and health system marketers and communicators differently. It doesn't mean everything will change, but we, can, we cannot assume what we were humming along with going into the beginning of 2020 will work going forward. So we wanna rethink everything. And if that's true, it's likely we're going to start doing some new things. We're going to start prioritizing things differently. We're going to be giving more resources and focus to things. And if that's true, we might have to brush some things off the table, some things that we've been doing for a long time. And so this first section is me just setting that up to talk about things that we might want to consider halting, diminishing, no longer doing. We're going to call them the untouchables. Three of these really quick. And then we're going to have get your guys' opinion on those or anything else you think you can uh, get away without doing anymore. So the first one, open enrollment campaigns. So I have been in hospital and health system marketing for oh, 20 years. And as long as I've been in this sector, this has been a debate. What's super interesting about open enrollment campaigns is th there's very few strategies we see across health systems where there's a really clear and sharp divide. There are people that believe this is the most important thing that you can do. And there are people that have never done it and would never do it. There's not many other things like that in our world. But the reason we bring it up here is from our perspective, it is a long way around the mountain uh, in terms of trying to achieve building brand, 
trying to achieve driving volumes, uh, whatever it may be. And again, we're talking about the provider side of things, obviously, not if you have a provider-sponsored health plan or in any way are trying to pull people in from an integrated perspective for the payer side. We are talking about hospitals and health systems driving that. Uh, so first of all, you've got to catch people's attention with this, with advertising and marketing that is about convincing them to select the plan during open enrollment that you are part of, which, you know, you know, we've written some things called Joe Public doesn't care about your hospital. We're really stretching it to think that they're going to, to care about this, particularly as we lead up to open enrollment, but even during it. You know, most consumers during open enrollment periods are not just 24-7 thinking about open enrollment. Most of them, you know, it's something they got to do. They spend some time figuring out and then they're done, right? Second, you have to get them to act. So even if they see this, even if they, they are aware of what you're, you're trying to convey, they then have to act on that during that period when they're making those selections. And most of what we know about consumers is there is a lot of things they're considering before they consider what hospital or health system is in their plan during open enrollment. They are considering how did my costs change, my premiums, how did the plan itself change? Of course, is my, my primary doctor, if I have one, still in my plan? That's, that's a big deal. But far down the list, likely, and from what we know, is, and is the system that I care about in there, right? So it's a lot to ask. And then finally, even if you accomplish all that, in most cases, you will be one of a number of provider choices in the plan they pick. So will they actually act on this down the road when you really need it? The whole point of this is for them to make sure they have you in their plan and then choose you down the road for care. So we have yet to see any definitive evidence that this actually drives volumes, drives share, any of that. Now, some of you may have different results and that's fantastic. And we're not suggesting that you abandon this completely. The point is, is this something we should be continuing to invest in given where the world is going? So that's one. Two, National RIP Current Awareness Week. That is a real thing. I don't know how many people knew that. Show, like, show of hands if you knew that this was an actual, you probably have to live on the coast to know this is a real thing. Um, this, what we're talking about here is the disease of the month campaigns. And we actually did a blog post about this years ago. And we thought it'd be funny to make up some fake designations. And we went to the CMS website to see what's there. And there's like 80 of them. And, and some of them sound fake, like National Rip Current Awareness Week or National Heavy Backpack Awareness Week. That was a thing too. The idea here is that many hospitals and health systems still invest a lot of their service line marketing tied to a disease of the month. So October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So that's the month we wanna you know, heavily invest in marketing our breast health services. There's a couple of challenges with this primarily. One, obviously everybody else is doing the same thing. Everybody else, and not just hospitals and health systems. So you already have to fight really hard to break through the clutter. And now you're intentionally putting your message out there in even more clutter around a message. So, so that's one problem. The other problem is we all talk about being consumer centric. We all talk about, hey, our marketing should be driven by what our consumers want, what they prefer, what's top of mind or relevant for them. This is the epitome of marketing from what we know. It starts with us. It starts with something that we or CMS or somebody has put on the calendar and therefore we're gonna promote it and push it out whether or not it aligns, right? The, the joke I've heard a few times is, hey, people don't just have heart attacks in February. How many people are actually, of course, patients who have breast cancer probably pay more attention in October to what they see because that is their world. But if they have breast cancer already, they're probably already somebody's system. You're not marketing to them. So should we be investing in this moving forward? I'll throw it out there. How many people are still doing disease of the month uh, and talk to us about if you're doing it, why you think it's valuable, or if you have moved away from disease of the month, talk to us about why. I'm on the consulting side now and, and not working in a health system. And I never liked investing in that because I'm putting scarce resources into an initiative where my share of voice is going to be compromised by everybody else with the same message.
And that intuitively makes sense to smart hospital executives and physician leaders. But there really is that the, the pressure comes from the cardiologist in February, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have to even mention it all. And just making sure that everyone understands what the marketing approach is for the entire year or multi-year, I think is really important. I think that doing something in February or whatever the month is, is just a dilution of effort. So, so Vicki, thank you. Can you, for the people who may not know who you are, even though you're on the consulting oh, side, just give that. quickly where you were. Sure, um, I'm Vicki Amalfitano. I currently teach strategic marketing at the Harvard School of Public Health. I am a healthcare marketing consultant and I was a full-time exec for longer than um, I wanna say most recently at Brigham and Women's in Boston. Thank you. I saw a lot of nods, by the way, as you were talking. A Johnny One note, healthcare marketing, healthcare marketing, healthcare marketing. What can I say? <laughs> what about Hi, others? This is Karen. Hi, Karen. Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Wish from Mount Sinai Health System. So I would say that we really try to not subscribe to flavor of the month. And, and what I mean by that is as a marketing comms team, we really have set priorities. Those priorities are aligned with the business objectives of the health system. Now, with that said, we definitely encounter situations where we have those demands that fly in left and right from different stakeholders. So the approach that we're taking is really to try to prioritize those requests and deliver on um, an appropriate marketing and comms reaction based on the set of tools that we have available to us. So it's not always easy. And I do think a component of it that we're actually gonna to start to work on is training, educating our marketers on how to have those conversations rather than simply saying, no, we can't do that. Our goal is really to understand what their business objective is and using our arsenal of tools, and we all have so many, to figure out a way to address that particular concern. It's the classic example of, I need a brochure. Well, do you really need a brochure? Like, you know, what is it you're trying to accomplish? And let us think about that and figure out a way to address it. And if we need to say no, for whatever reason, of course we would, but it's a different approach. Got it. Yolanda, I know you had your hand up before, so I'm calling, I hope that's okay to call on you. Sure, sure. Um... Yolanda Chavez Canny and I've been at John Muir Health um, here in California for about nine years. And I guess I'm embarrassed to say we we do use the flavor of the month. <laughs> I think it's been a way for us to organize all of the efforts we have for like 10 different specialty areas that we're trying to market at the same time. What we do try and do is to bring our point of difference into those communications. And I appreciate the, the question that you bring forward, Chris, like, do you really need to do it? And I guess what I would offer is that I, I think there's a place for it. And I think that there's a way to do it that brings synergy to the whole campaign. I, I would never say that that's the only thing to be doing but when we've got search engine marketing, we've got target digital marketing, we've got all different ways of raising awareness about what we do, you know, that kind of communication is just one element that we use mostly for social media. That's great. Internal communications, social media engagement, um, some of these things make complete sense. Vicki, how about the last comment on this? Because we want to get so to the big issue of brand. everything that folks have said, the only thing that I would suggest, because during February, everybody's doing heart messages, is to get in touch with inner boldness and do your heart program in another month when you've got more airtime. I agree with all of the tactics, and I think people need information it's just that you're competing for their attention during the national fill-in-the-blank month. That is a, that's a good segue. That's just kind of a, like an appetizer for the two big topics we want to talk about. So thank you, everybody. Um, we're going to switch over to Paul Hackett, who's going to start a conversation on brand. And again, if this is a whole new world we're entering, uh, there may be no other place that we need to rethink what we've done in the past 
than brand. So Paul, I'm going to set you up. All right. Thank you. Hi, everyone. And thank you for letting everyone know um, that I'm on day day two of my. my Was that a HIPAA class. violation? I probably just. I don't. Yeah, it may have been actually telling people I yeah my my COVID test, but it's okay. I forgive you. So yeah, the topic I want to discuss is modern brands are human brands. And as Chris was saying, you know, the world has turned, you know, upside down since COVID. And, you know, it's turned marketing upside down too. You know, imagine a retail brand not offering a curbside pickup today. You know, I think that, I think that that's here to stay as, as a product attribute for retail brands. And, and the changes we already saw happening have been accelerated. Uh, you know, more time streaming TV ha has come out of COVID. I think I, I saw recently um, Netflix is up to 200, 200 million uh, subscribers, meaning, you know, no TV ads for them. Uh, and COVID accelerated that. And I heard recently also that ad blocker software is growing at something like, you know, 30% a year. Don't quote me on the numbers because I'm not very good at math, but it, it's, it's a lot. It's big. Um, and people aren't going to movies anymore. You know, cinemas were once a major, major media channel. So it's a new world out there for sure. And you think a guy who devoted himself half his life uh, to making ads would be crying under my desk right now. I started as a copywriter, worked most of my career up in New York across all categories, but I'm not because, you know, brands aren't going anywhere. It really just means we have to be more creative and relevant in order to connect with people. And as a creative director, uh, I love that idea. So no matter where the future takes us, Staying creative and relevant means we have to more than ever before become um, human brands. Now, I didn't coin that term, I'll be honest. It's out there in the marketing world, but I think it's incredibly relevant today. Um, and when I think of human brands, I, I think of three attributes that make up good humans and they go hand in hand with human brands. So let's just, you know, quickly jump into those attributes and then, we, and then we can have a discussion. The first one is honest and authentic. You know, about 25 years ago, I can't believe it's been that long, but time flies. I was in advertising school in Atlanta and the instructors who were, you know, agency um, creatives were constantly hammering home this idea to copywriters. This one thing, it was like write copy, like you were simply having a conversation with someone and you wanted to become friends. Be conversational, be honest, be real, they would constantly say. And that little nugget of wisdom about how to write copy that connects with people is actually about so much more than just copy, I feel today. And, and today, I believe it is really a huge part of that first attribute of being honest and authentic. So honesty and authenticity, authenticity excuse me. Uh, you know, in our digital age, people are overloaded with information and advertising. The real things we strive for and they strive for are authenticity and honesty. You know, finding a quality product or service is, is already not enough. People are looking for genuine and transparent experiences. We want to feel good about the brands that we choose and associate with, just like the people we want to associate with in life. So brand authenticity is all about being genuine and real. When you're an authentic company, you're very honest about your mission and values. Your policies are transparent and, and you create an emotional connection with your clients. Another stat I saw for 90% of, of, of consumers today, authenticity is a critical deciding factor in brand choice. And it's, it's only getting more important as we move forward into the future. Fake people we avoid, fake brands eventually will be avoided too. Second attribute, which makes a good human and a human brand, is a good listener. You know, nobody likes someone who just talks about themselves. It's arrogant, it's rude, it's annoying. So imagine going to a series of, of dinner parties where you meet the same person three times. The first time, you exchange pleasantries, you share a little bit about yourself. Now imagine the disappointment when you meet that person two more times and they remember nothing about your conversations. It's just like starting all over again with this person. You know, you wouldn't want to spend time with them. So the same goes for brands, you know, and now more than ever, we had the data to listen and understand people to truly tap into their hopes and dreams and tailor our messages to speak to them directly. You know, the tools to listen to our consumers enable us to craft continually more authentic and relevant dimensions of our brand promise. So, and of course, and be more of a human brand going forward into the future. And the last attribute, which I bring up is exciting and surprising. 
We all know someone that constantly surprises us and excites us with their adventures and experiences. You know, the people who motorcycle across country on a whim or, you know, or somehow, you know, find themselves in a bare knuckle boxing contest in, in, in a bar somewhere across the world, you know, and we're like fascinated by them. We envy them. We want to be like them. We want to hear more because it's, it's interesting. It's a, they're exciting. So being exciting and surprising as a brand is no different. Finding fresh ways to deliver on your brand proposition in unexpected ways and keep consumers engaged with what you stand for and how you fit into their lives is key today. And it's exciting to people. Everyone knows billboards. Everyone's attuned to traditional advertising. And, you know, people see 5,000 messages a day. And I think, I think it's, I've heard even higher numbers. But, you know, why should they pay attention to our message, to your message? Brands realize their full potential, all the tools at their disposal to constantly find surprising and unexpected ways to deliver on their brand value. Not just the expected ways, checking the box, but, but meeting people where they are you know, across platforms and, and across life, you know, every channel, every message and every approach are opportunities to be that more human brand. And the, the opportunity is there to reinforce your brand value in honest and authentic ways to be a good listener, all the while being exciting and surprising. Bare knuckle boxing might be a little extreme, but you know what I'm saying. So that's it. Those are my, my three um, kind of attributes on, on what I feel human brands can embody. So throw a question out there, you know, do you see how you could differentiate yourself following the path of a human brand? Hey, this is Dana Allen. I'm from Norton Healthcare in Louisville, Kentucky. I love what you've said. I grew up in the beverage alcohol business and worked on Jack Daniels mm. and we followed something very similar. And Rather than excite and surprise, much of, much in the same way, the word we used for that phrase was really more about delight. Mm -hmm. and, that, and I think that in a way that it may translate in healthcare in a little bit of a different way. And I think it's kind of comes through more powerful when it comes to like kids or people who've had cancer. And that is, you know, this idea of people feel like that you've saved them. And there's something so powerful in that emotion. I know there's other hands up, but yeah, I just want to say one thing on that, that idea about saving people's lives. You know, as I said, I worked 20 years in New York across categories and I'm going to make it quick. And in those categories, automotive, wherever, whatever it was, people would give anything for a fraction of the humanity that is inside healthcare to connect with in, in, the, in those other categories. And I just think the humanity, it's happening every day inside health systems. I think, uh, Heather, Heather? Hi. 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 I'm Heather Geisler. I run marketing communications and experience at Henry Ford Health in Detroit. And Dana, like you, I'm actually new to Henry Ford less than a year. I'm also less than a year in healthcare. I spent most of my career at agencies also in New York. And then I led brand at MSNBC, the cable network, and at Hyatt Hotels Corporation. And so, you know, I've always kind of approached brand from the idea of having a really clear promise. And your promise is the expectation you create and that you deliver on consistently on your best day. And I was really surprised when I came to Henry Ford, which is a storied brand that's been here for 105 years in Detroit and has a really clear mission um, and vision, but didn't have an articulated internal and external promise. And the promise is really the emotional connection. It's, we talk about it a lot in the consumer space of irrational loyalty but it exists in healthcare. It's the reason why people will fly across the country to go to a place. Or, you know, I think about, I don't think there's anybody on here from St. Jude's, but why people give millions of dollars um, to a place that they don't even know where it exists, right? It's what helps you transcend from being a destination building to a destination for something so much larger. So I think it's absolutely critically important and it's a huge opportunity. And it also connects back to the first conversation we had about healthcare months and things like that. I think if you're authentic and you know you're a brand, you can show up in the middle of breast cancer month in a way that feels totally authentic, really unique to you and has huge resonance to the communities that you're trying to serve. But it has to be rooted in having a really, really clear value proposition and a really clear brand promise. So I think a lot of those things we talked about moving away from, you actually can do really, really effectively if you have a strong brand. Yeah, well, I love that, Heather. That's, that's great. 
Hey, Heather, can I pick on you for a second? Do you raise your hand? Having come in from outside of this space, is there one thing that you could throw out to the group, having that, that perspective that you would say where you were is very similar to healthcare and something that people that, that are in healthcare could benefit from, or is really different? And then you would say, this is really different. And, and we have to either figure out how to get there or leverage it in a different way. Like co either compare or contrast in one significant way. Yeah, I mean, I think this won't be surprising, but you know, right before here, I was in hospitality. And the most critical thing is the connection between brand and experience, right? Because ultimately your brand creates an expectation. Right, it creates an expectation for your team members who work there about what they're, you know, the environment in which you're creating, the opportunities you're creating for them. It creates an expectation for your patients and the consumers and your customers about the type of experience. But if the experience piece of it doesn't deliver on the brand promise, it's broken, right? And so in hospitality, it was absolutely critical, right? A luxury brand has a very, very different expectation and promise. And if you don't deliver a luxury experience to a guest you've created and marketed an experience to, you lose them. And you don't just lose them, you do reputational damage to your brand. So I think that's why the conversation about brand that I'm trying to have at Henry Ford is bigger than marketing. It has to be bigger than marketing. Everybody is, has a responsibility to your brand and making sure that you have very, very clear buy-in and alignment between your clinical teams and your operational teams and all parts of the organization are unified behind those brand missions. What it really, it's interesting because a lot of industries like in media, certainly in hospitality, you look at the most successful brands and they really claim that idea of being brand led. Dana, I also did work with Diageo and beverage alcohol does this very, very well where everybody in the organization is immersed in brand training and brand education because everybody has a role in delivering on that experience. So I think there's a huge opportunity there to make sure that you don't only really have a strong brand and a clear brand and positioning, but everybody understands their responsibility in delivering on that promise. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Heather. I'll throw it back to you, Paul, in a second, but somebody, sure. somebody said this to me, like you, Heather, coming from outside and having spent some time in marketing in the health system space saying, this is the only place where marketing experience are thought of separately, and traditionally. In, in all other industries, that is just like, they're just... You don't, you don't separate them. They're completely integrated. So it's something that is a struggle for a lot of places. Paul, back to you to, to no, wind folks up. I just had one thought that when Heather was talking, it reminded me of the first time I flew Southwest Airlines. And it was when I came down to Nashville. And I just you know, remember you know, loving the advertising, seeing it in award shows, you know, low cost, great experience, making air travel easy and fun. And I was blown away by, I mean, from the television to the tarmac, it was that same human personality, you know, even the, you know, the flight attendants were fun. And it was just, it was actually just an incredible manifestation of the brand from pushing ads out to the actual, to the experience itself, as, as Heather mentioned. So I just wanted to throw That's that fantastic. out. David, I saw your comment in the chat. Do you want to jump in there? seems like um, what you were saying is similar. Talking to David Perry was in consumer packaged goods and software prior to getting into healthcare and now consult with the wonderful Stanford medicine folks. And um, I do think it's, it depends on how much you control from your marketing role, particularly the patient journey. It is such, it's so much more complex than dog food. I was very involved in dog food and Microsoft software. There, there was a channel, et cetera, but this channel, this journey is pretty complex. And when you're at an academic medical center, you have the referring physicians, which are your lifeblood, right? Quaternary and tertiary, large volume, high, high expense items. And they're, they're a different beast than a patient, um, but you have to look at both those audiences. And the patient journey, and particularly referring physician journey, is one that uh, I think is challenging for a lot of us and that we have to improve because you can have a very powerful brand and a very powerful story, but if that journey has obstacles and potholes in it, it can really, it can really do damage to your overall marketing messaging, right? Which you're spending thousands, sometimes millions on to develop. So I just think that's something worth considering and getting deeper into and that marketing needs to get more involved in where and when they can. 
you know, all brands are dealing with experience. And for us, the experience is pretty complex. And um, I think you have to partner with your patient experience partners. If you don't control patient experience, if you don't handle the call center, the pre-visit's important. And we usually handle the post-visit, but what's in between needs to be as seamless as possible. So I'm probably master of the obvious here, but I did want to bring no, that up. Great creative can be damaged by a couple of bad experiences, <laughs> particularly with some key physicians and some pretty vocal consumers that get on social media. Thank, thank goodness Stanford Medicine, for one, I think does a pretty good job of that. Many people on this call have great institutions that do a good job on that, but it's constant vigilance. And I think their expectations have changed with COVID, both audience that I mentioned. So Great. It's wonderful. Alan, what about, would you mind, I would love to go to your comment about people without a clear brand preference and having a strong, clear brand preference can actually stem that tide. Sure. Well, thanks everyone. Um, I'm Alan Schubert. I work at Salinas Valley Memorial Healthcare System, which is near Monterey. But um, no, I just have, have seen a lot of reporting and even our own survey work locally about how the people who state they have no preference for a specific brand is growing. It just seems to continue to grow. So I've thought you know, a lot about the fact that you know, having a really strong brand, a clear message and good creative, you know, again, it's not necessarily going to be enough always to, to turn that whole tide, but it's certainly better than not being differentiated, not having a clear message, not having a good brand promise. I think as the landscape gets more difficult to break through, all those things will be really helpful at, you know, not only maybe growing, but at least maintaining what you have. And it's just going to be incredibly important. Yeah, I just add to Alan's comments there. We did, uh, we actually published a study, I guess it was in November, that looked at the impact of COVID on consumer behavior. And one of our key takeaways was the decrease in brand loyalty across the spectrum. And we'll put a link to that report. But the main point was COVID, you know, I think most of us on this call probably think about e-commerce like that's 1995. Uh, but there is a huge swath of this country that that's, that wasn't their reality. Uh, and obviously COVID forced all of us to do most everything from in our house and through our computers. And that the growth of people becoming comfortable with e-commerce of ordering all their food ordering all their supplies, everything they would normally get out in the world through the internet has opened their eyes to, well, wow, this is really easy. You know, I could just go over here and choose that one. And I can, it shows them how simple it is to switch. It's gotten them comfortable with switching. And that's another trend that we need to watch moving forward. Will that habit stick with us? Not just doing everything online, but the comfort and even the desire to look more broadly than what we normally just by habit, which is what brand is all about, have chosen in the past. I've always picked XYZ ketchup because I've always picked XYZ ketchup. I mean, I don't know why, but I still pick it. But now I see ABC ketchup and it looks just as good and it's $2 cheaper. I'm going to try that. Trial's easier, all of that. And that may seem like, well, how does that, how does that change with surgery or something? But if you think about the top of the funnel and people picking an urgent care experience or virtual care, you know, we're talking about pretty easy choices that people can make and change very quickly. So that is something we're just going to have to watch moving forward. Heather, to your hand. The one thing I just wanted to say in terms of what Sarah said, I mean, we feel that our brand health at around the same time, at least our first one for the year. And you know, one of the things that we saw consistently amongst our competitive systems in our market and beyond was that no one really was advantaged by COVID either, right? I mean, they, and I'm not sure if others have seen this, but when they looked at, you know, us versus the other kind of three to four systems who regularly service our area, and they asked the question, did anybody do better in COVID, basically? Did anybody, you know, as a result of COVID, do you think differently about any of these systems? And what we saw in our market was no. And, and I think it's interesting because we have competitors in our market who are really trying to claim the mantle of, we served more COVID patients, we, you know, like trying to play it to a competitive advantage. But what we saw in our brand health is that it really didn't, which I think is interesting, especially as we go into the post-COVID conversation is, um, you know, it, it may have changed expectations, but it, despite, unfortunately or not, all of the additional effort we've done in terms of community partners, it may have either done one of two things. It didn't advantage everybody. It may have raised all boats, though, in terms of understanding the value and, and reasserting the value of systems to the communities they serve. 
but we were a bit surprised to see, because I think competitively, we always like who's out there first, who's doing it bigger, who's louder. Um, And despite some of that happening around COVID, we didn't see anybody really come out in front. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's funny, Heather, I have a quote just on my wall and I kind of keep it in as, as we're all brainstorming and thinking, it just says, it's more than just raising brand awareness. It's raising up society at the same time or raising up community at the same time. If we can kind of merge those two thoughts in the work we do, I think we'll be in good shape. I want to give one more comment on what Heather said and what Alan posted. You know, we have a podcast that we do. We have folks like you on it. Uh, and one thing that we noted from a number of them, January, February, we all know that hospitals and health systems were elevated last year, held up for the value that they brought to the communities as heroes, parades, all of that. But the vaccine launch did not go swimmingly. And some of our guests who are in the same positions that you all are in were lamenting, wow, did we just lose all the equity we gained? because we are being blamed fair or not for the fumbling that happened at the outset of the vaccine distribution. Are we going to be able to get that back? Are we, are we now behind where we were? And so given what Heather said and Sarah said, and Alan has posted, I think that's something that there should be no assumption that we're still up on that pedestal and we're, we're going to have to work hard to maintain whatever equity is left or to, to build it even stronger. So yeah, not a happy note, but what's, what's a good segue to happy a happy topic, which is Jen Webster. Uh, so Jen is going, we're going to switch to talk about creativity. And again, premise of all this is um, how we were creative before may need to change in dramatic ways. And Jen's going to to give us a little think about, and we'll dive into that conversation. All right. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Uh, first off, this is just the perfect time to talk about creativity because of all of the discussion you guys just had. So Just as an overview, I am a lifelong creative. (laughs) I'm creative in and out. Um, My past experience has primarily been in advertising, worked on everything from local nonprofits to national CPG brands to international service brands. And recently before joining Revive, I spent a few years at Amazon Corporate launching global delivery initiatives around the world and then also launching the world's first smart stores. So experience was 100% the North Star there. And when joining to Revive, I've been selling Pringles just to sell Pringles in a way, right? Like I was really good at it. But to be honest, I'm a lifelong patient. I've had 18 surgeries in my life. I really wanted to do something good. I really wanted to switch into healthcare. So that's where I am here. And just thinking of creativity, just wanted to sum it up really quick, because sometimes it can be very daunting and sounds very intimidating. But it's not just being creative and creative thinking just means taking risks, right? You need to face some fears. You have to ignore some doubts sometimes and just go out there and try to be different, but not just be different to be different, but different to resonate with people. So talking about different, let's get real, guys. Last year was a dumpster fire. We all knew it. We were all there. We've even talked about it already. So the pandemic hit around the globe and we as humans, we watched the dominoes fall. We saw it country by country. We all experienced that. And then in the US, social justice sparked outcries around the world. And we all joined in that conversation individually, as humans, as brands, corporations. We all started talking about it because it's very important. And then another thing, There was a lot of election turmoil last year. There was a lot of divisiveness that grew. There was a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. So it wasn't just COVID, right? And then also in the US and around the world, there's always been health inequities and disparities, but the pandemic unveiled it for everybody. And now that's everybody is speaking about it. And so you had so many things happening at the same time, you now have a very stressed and different audience. So as humans in general, we have changed our behavior. Majority of everybody I see on the screen here is at their home, right? That's huge. So people started working from home. People started working from home and parenting from home. I, for one, have a six-year-old and doing both. It's different, right? And then everything was going on last year. I mean, even this image right here, they're masks. Whether you wore one or not, masks is part of our daily vernacular now. So 
just seeing it as a human being, we have changed and change is scary. But looking at the audiences that we all are, we are stressed. So from your brand, how can you build trust with a stressed audience? As you guys were all speaking about it um, in the discussion right then, and then even what Paul was bringing up about human brands and you know thriving, you have to resonate with this audience. You have to understand them. You can't just say things to say things. So how do you access those audiences in authentic, honest, in real ways. Heather, specifically, when you're talking about the experience of hotels, like you can't just say something and then somebody walks in the lobby and it's a completely different experience. Experience matters. Experience matters more now than ever, especially with social media and everybody talking. So big thing is a stressed audience. How do you get through to them? And with that, we all are very familiar with the, with the term of think different, right? Steve Jobs, amazing. Great. We've always been thinking different, but right now we have to think different differently. As Chris and Paul mentioned, coming out of this post-pandemic, I just want to say 2020 in general, because there were a lot of things that were going on this past year. We have to think different differently because human behavior has changed. And more so now than ever, brand valuation is crucial. Paul, I believe, I think it was Paul who mentioned, if you're inauthentic right now, you're going to get blasted, you're going to get ignored, or you're going to be left behind. And one thing that I learned from being at Amazon is that now I think globally, even if I'm a small healthcare system in you know, rural Alabama, still thinking multiculturally because there's so many different audiences in your periphery. There's so many people who think differently than one another. You have to know your audience. You have to invest in them because that's who you're speaking to, right? It's all about that patient coming in and that experience for it. Because if it is a bad experience, they're gonna blast it or they might blast it. So it's really, really important, especially with creatively thinking, right? How do you think a little bit differently? How do you invest that time and just think about your audiences in a way that your brand is going to resonate? So, few things that I just walked through last year, dumpster fire, we were all there. And then human beings, we have changed our behaviors. And so I'm going to ask a few questions and then hopefully start some discussions. So how are some ways that you think differently within your hospital or health system right now? Yolanda. So one of the things that you mentioned and you kind of showed us a little bit, and we're working with this right now is the belonging and equity messaging and how to communicate about that. Because what you, I think, showed is that we're at this point where things are changing and health systems haven't always been communicating about their point of view on injustice, racism. And we found that some of our constituency is super uncomfortable when we put something out that states our stand about something. And I think to your question, I think that is one where we have a responsibility to our community to tell them where we stand. And I think that's a nice indication of authenticity as well. And it not be just lip service, right? And it's not just a component here and there, but that it's woven through everything that we do and we stand. And there's some great examples of some health systems out there who I think are leading the way for us. Very, very important. And that's something that in my career as being a creative, a lot of times when working with clients, there's a lot of hesitations at times because you don't want to alienate certain audiences within your brand. So then sometimes it happens where you start messaging to everybody and then your message gets diluted. So I'm glad you brought that up, Yolanda. That's great. It reminds me of two things. We've been talking to a lot of people over the past year from health systems and in the roles that you guys play. And one of the things that seems to just be definitive, that this is the way it's going to be, is hospitals and health systems can no longer sit on the fence. Jen talked a lot about what happened last year in terms of social justice, and and, and I think you're talking about elements of that. Or Saying nothing is is now a saying something. And hospitals and health systems used to be above the fray or outside of the fray. And because of COVID, in many ways, vaccines, masks, all of that, we just hear time and time again from CMOs, we can no longer be silent. 
we have to take a stand, which is really difficult because in this day and age, any stand you take is certainly not going to be universally adored. The other thing that I would put out to this group, and Jen hit on this, and Anna, you did too, is um, we have a, a, a raging debate in our agency, and we don't have the solution to it. But at a minimum, we think that the idea of multiculturalism is no longer incremental. It's no longer nice to have. It's no longer if we have a budget or if we get to it or if we think of it, we will do it. It has to run through everything we do. The data we pull, the strategies we develop, the creative, it's not about second language ads. It's not about diverse photos. It runs through everything. But when you think about that and you and you think about your brand, and so the, the debate we have is just we pick something you know, everybody knows, like, have a Coke and a smile. All right. That's their, that's their, was their brand campaign. That was their slogan for years and years. Can you still have a single brand slogan? Will a single brand position or message or slogan or creative resonate equally or even positively across diverse audiences? What is the, what are the implications if that isn't the case? And I don't know how it can be the case. If we're serious about really understanding diverse audiences, diverse cultures, are we going to have to have multiple brand campaigns? Are we going to have to have multiple brand positions? Is creative going to have to go from a singular creative with maybe some iterations to multiple creative? You know, we just sit there, our minds explode a little bit thinking about the power of that because the power is super exciting, but also daunting, really daunting. And I would love to hear from people what they think of that and how they're acting on that that concept. I'm a big fan of getting away with um, taglines, frankly, because I think taglines become crutches for not having a clear brand promise, right? Because mm-hmm. a big, a clear brand promise that's really true and authentic should resonate, should transcend to audience. I really do believe that because it has to be connected to a human truth. And so I tend to believe that if you really have a brand promise that's transcendent and connects to a human truth, the expression of it may be something that you need to think about being highly personalized, but the brand promise should. And, and so a tagline really just becomes about what is the device that you're using to connect. And so a tagline may not work, but your brand promise should. You know, we've been really unapologetic on the justice stuff. I mean, I'll be honest. And part of it is because it's something that's highly personal and our CEO is very passionate about it. And it's been hard, but then it's not. Because once you commit, you know, we talk about our platform is DEI and J. We talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and we actually have justice as part of our platform. And, And once you commit and you're in and you declare, then it gets a lot easier. <laughs> it's the declaration and the consistency and the reinforcement that's tough. But I, you know, I, it's something that I think we're extremely proud of. But it does also have to be something that you have to be willing to assume the risk, and you have to assume the risk from the top down, right? And when you have a CEO who's like, "I'm responsible for the financial performance of this organization, and I'm willing to take this risk that this is big enough a deal." to position us for the future that I'm going to take a stand now, then you go. Yeah. I, yeah I, certainly stands out, Heather. And I'm going to, can I pick on one other person? I think she knows it's coming. Dana, I know at Norton, you guys have also really stepped up on the social justice front. You want to share just a little bit about that? Or is that okay? Yeah, you're yeah. on our podcast. So I assume if you shared it there, you're cool sharing it here. Sure. And we also had a misstep that I'm happy to talk about too. Um, our CEO came out very strongly. I mean, our team is like, felt like we were being hit from all sides just with what we were taking on with COVID. And then he, in June says, we're going to, I've got five imperatives uh, to address against health equity. And here they are. And we're not, we're not going to talk about it. I don't know what the five things are. And here we go. And took off down a path. And then, you know, I even kind of started my own journey, taking a class about the radical MLK just to help me learn. And, and Heather, I, I, I love the way you said that, but I have to be honest with you, we faced, because so many of our nurses are married to policemen, that the, the internal battles here were just so much that it was like, no matter what we said, it would, we were going to get punched from somewhere. And so this idea of just 
doing what we believed to be was right. And then we just started saying, you know what, we're going to let our actions speak louder than our words. And we, we have been doing all the, we vaccinated the homeless. We vaccinated in the West End. We're opening new facilities, you know, in, in parts of the city where we should have, you know, should have been a long time ago. Um, so that's kind of where we're marching. But then also there was a, just a bit of a misunderstanding. Um, Senator McConnell, who happens to be from Kentucky and decided he was going to do this march across Kentucky to talk about vaccines. And I thought it was an intimate meeting with our 10 people at our facility and someone on my team will, will be there to be sure everything's okay. And uh, I totally missed that there was to be a press conference and thinking they were doing the right thing. McConnell standing in front of uh, one of our big blue in banners and begins to talk about how businesses need to stay out of what was going on in Atlanta around the uh, baseball, right? He used the word stupid. And since I wasn't there, all of a sudden I'm getting texts from people going, holy crap, Dana, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. This <laughs> actually messaged me. It was, and I'm like, holy smokes. Okay, here's something. Whenever a politician's coming to town, it's going to be divisive and we don't stick them in front of our backdrop. You know, that just seems to make a lot of sense, but someone thought they were doing the right thing and it ended up biting us in the butt. But anyway, it's a tough, it is a tough journey. We're opening our Institute for Health Equity in July. It's, um, it's been divisive during this time of heightened sensitivity. It is just amazing the things that will happen that are not intentional, but just because, I mean, I didn't even realize that there's a, a woman on my team who has she's Polynesian. She's married to a black man. She has black friends and she accompanies her black friends to our facilities because they don't feel comfortable coming by themselves. That is wrong. It's reality, but it's wrong. And it's not something we're going to be able to take care of right now, but it is so easy to make a step because everything's so heightened right now. So this idea of how you get everyone to understand what your brand is about and what your promise is about and how one person can have such a ripple effect because of social media has been probably the biggest journey we've been on in the past six months. It's also something you can learn from. So it's just like acknowledging if you have missteps or mistakes or whatever, we learn from it. And I think that's huge for a brand to even speak about. That's ownership and moving on, you know, growing from it. Fantastic conversation. We will be doing another one of these in a few months, we're not, we don't have the date yet, but thank you everybody.